With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Flushing is Burning. As always, I'm Grace. Uh, took a little holiday sabbatical last week from both my shows. Um, you know, Thanksgiving's a busy week for all of us. Uh, but I'm back, and uh, there's quite a bit of news to cover in the last two weeks. Um, so generally, through baseball, uh, we've had a few uh Contracts get negotiated and finalized. Um, the the biggest one was Aaron Nola, re-signed with the Phillies, seven years, $172 million. Um, that was one of those situations where if he went somewhere else, I wouldn't have been shocked, but I'm also not terribly shocked that he went back to the Phillies. Uh, good for him. He's going to retire a Philly. Um, I'm sure that he will have many years of being a very good pitcher for them in the future. Um, and this just makes sense from the standpoint of uh, Zach Wheeler's not going to be around forever. So you got to make sure you lock down exactly what you what you can in that rotation and keep it 
keep it operating at a high level. Uh, and then the this this the past week or two, um, I think we covered one of these already. Um, the the Cardinals made three signings for their starting rotations. They signed Lance Lynn a few weeks ago. Um, then they signed Kyle Gibson, and uh, most recently they signed, and this is probably their biggest one. Um, I assume he becomes their ace, given who like who else is in that rotation with him. Um, they signed Sonny Gray to three years, $75 million, which I saw some people express some shock over, but I think the athletic had him projected for three years, 72 million. So I don't know how big of a shock that is that he got that much money. Um, good for him. He's been very good since he left the Yankees. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the Cardinals rotation now looks a lot better than it did. Um, you've got those three with miles, Nicholas and, uh, Steven, Steven Matz. Um, so, you know, that should be good for them going forward. Their, their biggest problem this year was definitely, well, other than it seeming like everyone on the team forgot how to play baseball. Um, they had no pitching. They had like zero pitching this year. So good for them to sort of set that in stone and give themselves a new, a brand new look in the starting rotation. Um, we've got some Japanese players posted with Yoshinobi, the Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I always get that right. And then this time my mouth just failed me. Uh, he was posted, I believe, a week ago or two weeks ago uh, in 45-day period to sign. So I believe his last day he can sign is January 4th. Um, sounds like he's probably going to sign well before that. Um, he's apparently meeting with the finalists for him that he's he's determining who the finalists are to sign him. And he's going to meet with them during the winter meetings. So that should probably come down the pike sooner rather than later. Obviously, a ton of teams are interested. Obviously, the Mets are interested. Um, yeah, so that's that's going to be a interesting thing for us. Um, and, you know, Shoto, uh, Shoto Imanaga got posted. So he's going to be another big uh, pitcher out there on the, the market. Not, it's not quite to the level of Yamamoto. I mean, Yamamoto just won his third MVP and MPB, which puts him along with um, Ichiro as the only two players to do that. And uh, he's 25, so he's gonna have a he's gonna get a very nice contract. Um, and there's been a million Shohei Otani rumors. No one really knows what's going on. Otherwise, um, the Mariners have taken themselves out of the running <laughs> already. Uh, the Yankees, I believe, said that they're focused more on Yamamoto than Otani, which leads me to believe that they're they've taken themselves out of out of the possibility for running that. Although who knows what that means? Um, Howie Rose sent. Twitter a flutter uh, yesterday saying that we rec I'm recording this on um, November 28th, nine o'clock at night. So um, Howie Rose said, oh, sounds like there might be some Shohei Otani news soon. And people freaked out. And then he went, whoa, whoa, whoa. The album words were might and soon or, or today or whatever. I might and today. And I was like, okay, so you know absolutely nothing. Or someone told him, shut the fuck up. So either one of those, very funny. Um, and then that sort of moves us into the Mets moves. Um, since we last recorded, there was the the contract tendering deadline or whatever that's called. Uh, they non-tendered five players. Uh, Jeff Brigham, Sam Coonrod, Trevor Gott, Luis Giorme, and Daniel Vogelbach. Um, I don't think any of those. I, for me, the only one that's like a little surprising is Luis Giorme, but also like that was going to be a, a decent chunk of change for them to have tied up in a, you know, extra infielder who really can't hit that well. Um, let him go to a team that's not as good that'll let him hit more. 
um, you know, rooting for his success as always, but you can get a, a decent defender for the infield for less money, I guess would be the thought. Um, Brigham wasn't very good in his tenure last year. Sam Coonrod hurt, wasn't very good. Trevor Gott, you know, I don't like Trevor Gott. Um, and Daniel Vogelback was like the, the, I mean, there was talk of him getting non-tendered, like I feel like three weeks into the season this year. Like that's not surprising at all. Um, but they didn't, they actually tendered DJ Stewart with a $1.38 million contract, which I hope just means that he's getting the chance to try to be a bench bat in spring training. Um, I think it's gone horribly wrong if that is um, indicative of him solidly getting a spot on the team somewhere um, without any competition. Because I, I, I looked this up when I made this this outline just to refresh myself, but I want to bring the actual numbers up in front of me. Um, you know, DJ Stewart had that really fun run in uh, in August. But um, that would uh, that would lead you to believe he was better than he actually was this season. Uh, so in August, he, in 24 games, 66 at bat, 76 plate appearances. Uh, he hit 303, 378, 727, which is an 1106 OPS. Um, and a, he hit eight home runs in 24 games, which is insane. Uh, and then se- between September and October, uh, in 22 games, 74 at-bats, 84 played appearances, so more time at the bat. He hit 189, 286, 311. And while I don't think that is entirely indicative of who he will be as a major, as like a, oh, like even itself out, uh, I also don't think it's the the August numbers either. I think it's probably closer to the September October numbers. Just looking at his career, um, so hopefully that just means that they're giving him a, a guaranteed tryout in spring training, and then should something be really great, they keep him and they don't have to pay him that much. Should something go bad, they let him go because it's not a lot of money. But who knows? Uh, and then there were some some hires. So they hired Andy Green who was the Cubs bench coach for a senior role in player development. I don't know much about that situation, but uh, I know a lot of teams were looking at him this offseason for roles. So hope that's a good thing. Uh, They hired the Astros scouting director, Chris Gross, to oversee their amateur scouting department. Now, this one, without knowing a ton about the situation, um, does feel like a really good situation to me. Um, Because I think the Astros, over like the last 10 years or whatever, have one of the best rates of like minor of like draft picks becoming major leaguers, and the Mets I think have like literally the worst. Um, so if he can bring some of that magic in, and obviously it's more than just drafting, it's development. But you've got to also find the guys first. Like you can't just draft and be like, ah, oh, he hits pretty well. Like that's that's you know you need actual things going on here. Uh, they moved Eric Chavez back to hitting coach, uh, which he's going to be doing alongside Jeremy Barnes. They're going to be co-hitting coaches. Uh, Jeremy Hefner is returning as pitching coach, and they've hired um, a bench coach and some base coaches. Um, their bench coach is going to be John Gibbons, uh, who was the former Blue Jays uh, manager during that sort of run of success. And then towards the end of his uh, tenure there, it was, didn't go as well. But like that early to mid-2010s, late-2010s Blue Jays situation, he was he was at the the head of that. Uh, and then they hired Antoine Richardson as their first base coach and Mark, Mike Sarbo, Sarbo. 
as their third base coach. He was the third base coach with um, the Indians, the Guardians, when um, Lindor was there. And he loved the, – the two of them have a very good friendship. So that may or may not be part of the reason why he was there. Antoine Richardson is actually an interesting uh, player to me because he's he's kind of a part of two very interesting pieces of history. Um, when he was with the Yankees um, in 2013, he – scored the winning run on a walk-off single by Derek Jeter, which was the final Yankee Stadium at-bat of Derek Jeter's career. So he was Derek Jeter's finer, final Yankee Stadium RBI. Um, and then, this one's also interesting to me, um, in 2022, when he was the uh, first base coach for the San Francisco Giants under Gabe Kapler, um, he was ejected in the third inning while he was... Um, arguing with Mike Schilt, who was at the time the Padres third base coach. He's now the Padres manager. Um, that's That ends the manager merry-go-round that we've been seeing. Um, but that ejection ended up leading to Alyssa Dinkin becoming the first woman to appear as an on-field coach in a major league game, uh, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, again, as as I said, uh, when, when Mendoza was first hired, and obviously this applies to all of these, there's no way to see how this plays out because we don't we don't know. Um, John Gibbons doesn't isn't like the the coolest hire in the world, but I assume they just want someone with experience. Now, whether that's good experience or bad experience, because he he's an older school manager, um, we don't know how that's going to translate. Also, he's just the bench coach, but also he's the bench coach for a guy who's never managed before. So who knows how this is going to uh, turn out? Can't tell, can't tell just yet uh, what's going to go on with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've got the winter meetings start on Monday, so a week from yesterday. So we should probably be getting a lot of news um, within the next couple of weeks. I mean, I remember 2019 was like the big one where everyone signed at that, that winter meetings. But, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be slow until it's not, um, I think Shohei Otani probably signs during the winter meetings just because that's also been the same thing where he's been um, talking to a lot of teams. Teams are sort of taking themselves out of the running. Who knows where these players sign, where Shohei will go is a mystery to everyone, which I think actually like kind of makes it more fun. You know, like we're just going to one day in the next however many weeks be sitting there. It's going to line up and it's going to go Shohei Otani signing with this team. There's not going to be any negotiating through the media because he's already said he's going to hold it against any teams if they leak stuff about their meetings. Uh, so it's going to be very, very low key. It's going to be like the um, I always think about that with the Lindor trade. The Lindor trade kind of just came out of nowhere and it was great. Um, but yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be fun. I part of, I like I feel like you know the smoke is blowing here that it's going to be the Dodgers, but. You never know. The Giants are apparently pushing hard for one of him or Yamamoto. The Mets obviously would are going to be pushing hard for him. Um, the Cubs have been have been linked to Otani in the past, so it's just going to be a lot of a lot of guessing games. The other players, we might get some other you know rumors here and there. Where's Cody Bellinger going to sign? Where's Matt Chapman going to sign? But Shohei Otani is going to be special because that one's just going to be like, boom. He's going to LA. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be something like that, where it's gonna be so out of left field. Um, hey, maybe, maybe we'll be recording when it happens. Um, yeah, so that that about does it. I mean, there's been news, but not a not a ton of like really big 
let's talk about this news. So why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we will get to the uh, discussion that I queued up a few weeks ago about A League of Their Own. All right. And we're back. So A League of Their Own, the movie. Um, I, watching this movie, I watched it a few weeks ago um, at a friend of mine's apartment. Her name is Jess. She is listening. Hello, Jess. Um, she had never seen it before, and I took this as the perfect opportunity to watch A League of Their Own. A League of Their Own has been one of my, you know, top 10 or top 15 movies. I mean, when I was a kid, obviously, it was like, I didn't think of movies like that. I was just like, I love that movie, but like, it has been important to me my entire life, and it's one of my all-time top whatever movies. And while I was re-watching it, I was sort of really taking it in this time, because I feel like a lot of times I just put on that movie, just watch it, you know, just like good vibes. Um, but this time I really wanted to really wanted to sit there with the movie. And one of my favorite things about the movie, and, I, and this is something I've thought about before, is the framing device of the script, right? Like they're getting back together and it, it, it sort of is this perfect bookend where it's like you see them at the start and then we go into, you know, back then and we go through and it doesn't come up again until the end. But you see, you, you see this, this older woman, and then when you come back, all of this attachment, all of everything, they introduce all the older people. The casting in this is great. Like, for the older versions of all the characters, I, you're blown away. They all, they all look, like, identical. It's fantastic. And, I mean, they specifically cast uh, the woman who played the older version of Dottie because she looked so much like Gina Davis and had Gina Davis um, dub over the voice. But I do want to bring this up because she is an old, like, old, old movie actress, but she was in, like, B-movies. Um, Lynn Cartwright. So she was in... <laughs> she was in this movie called um, The Wasp <laughs> Woman, um, which is... She's not, like, the the main character in it, but it's, it's about this, um, like, makeup scientist who... Um, is like, hey, let's use wasp stuff in our makeup because it's you know it's kind of dropping in sales. We gotta we gotta boost up the sales, and then she turns into a wasp. Um, so it's it's funny like seeing her in that and then being like, oh, this is like a lady who's who was in old movies. She was in an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. She was in The Apartment, which was a Best Picture winner, and I'm sure I will recommend it at some point. Yeah, she's just she, it it's it's so. It's such a good movie that, like, it's almost hard to talk about. Like, how is it so good? What makes it so good? And I think part of it is that it's sort of this perfectly made, like, it knows exactly what it's doing. It's that kind of movie you don't get anymore. It's, frankly, the kind of movie that they make a TV show out of now, which they did. Um, but it, it's a perfectly well-crafted, not flashy but but you know workman like you know we're making the movie it's got penny marshall's got her little flares that she does but it's not it's not like oh look at all the style and all this you know ooh. it's just it's fun it's a great story i mean you've got tom hanks at like the peak of being tom hanks gina davis is so awesome in this movie like i one of my favorite like performances when I was a kid just because I was watching her and I was like wow I could do that I could be that you know I, I played baseball as a kid and and that movie made me feel like oh 
it's possible for me to, to keep doing this. You know, even though most of the, the people I'm playing with are boys right now, I, I could do this, right? And it sucks. Like, I think we probably should have another women's baseball league, at least. I think that'd be a fun next sport to do, like, a women's league for. But it's just, it's so fantastic. The script is so tight. It moves. And I think it's it's funny in a way that's, like, very real. You know, like, it's not like, it's not like, oh, look at these dames playing baseball. It's like, these women all have, like, interior lives. You're so invested with them, you know, when, when, um, I completely forget her character's name, but Tracy Reiner, um, when her character's husband dies, like, she gets the, the, the telegram about it, whatever, you're devastated along with her, because they, they sprinkle through the, oh, she wants, she wants, uh, um, Jimmy Dugan to sign the, the, the baseball card, and oh, she's so devastated, oh, she's writing, the, you know, like, it's all this stuff, you know, you get Marla Hooch keeps getting made fun of, but she's the first one, other than, you know, the people who are married, but like, of like, like, oh, we're going out to the bar, we're meeting fellas, like, she's the one who actually meets a guy and stays with him, um, Kit, you feel the dynamic, you feel the tenseness between Kit and Dottie, you feel just, you're so connected to all of these these characters, you know, it, it's fantastic. I really appreciated this time to the, uh, the costumes. Uh, my friend Jess, her roommate, um, Nicole was her name. She was talking about, cause she, she does, she does stuff with costumes. Um, she was talking about the way that the costumes were made because at the time it would have been, the stuff was all handmade. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't being pressed together in a factory somewhere. It was, oh, they're like, they're doing this by, hand or by machine but it's a person doing it so you can see like oh these look like they're actually stitched by hand you know these some of these women's would women would have had to make their own socks and stuff like that really really interesting stuff and 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 it's you know the color work and everything like that and i think what i like most about this movie is is now that the show has come out and has added extra color to this they're almost like you can't have you know, we spent 30 years or whatever having one without the other, but it feels like now you can't have one without the other, right? Like they, they complement each other so well. You know, you have the scene in the movie where the ball rolls away and, and the black woman picks it up and throws it, she throws it over Dottie and, and, um, what's her face? Sid Helen catches it and it's like, oh, like, like, oh, she's got quite an arm, but that's the only reference to that. And then the show basically goes, okay, yeah, black women couldn't be a part of this because this was still segregated. But they were also like joining the Negro Leagues, and that was a thing that was happening. And also, the the movie has like a noticeable um, straight washing to it. We'll say where um, there the league would have had gay women in it. One of those players. I mean, come on, Rosie O'Donnell is on this team, right? Marla Hooch is on this team. Like these are players that these are people that like you get a vibe off of them because they, it's just the way that they play that character. And I think that's also just Rosie O'Donnell. You see Rosie O'Donnell, you're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, fool me. Um, but yeah, it, it, the show sort of adds that to it where you go, okay, now we have the, a fuller picture of what this is. And I, I kind of want to watch the show again, now that I've seen the movie again, I want to watch the show again, and I want to get into, um, get into the show, and what that is doing, so maybe, 
we'll talk about this again. I kind of want to put this off until after the winter meetings to see how many dominoes fall. But maybe we'll do something where, like, in the new year, each week we'll we'll watch two episodes, you know, and we'll we'll discuss because I, you know, two episodes is essentially a, a single movie. Um, yeah, we can we can do that. We can talk about it that way. I think that would be really really fun and fascinating. And I, I do just want to shout out also Penny Marshall, um, one of our great. Uh, women directors who I think never quite got the due that she deserved. Um, she has unfortunately passed away, but she was such a great director. And you watch this, or you watch Big or or anything. She's she's got quite an eye, and she stopped directing for the last you know ten fifteen years of her career, which sucks. But she was so good, and she was she was a pioneer in a way where she was the first. What was the what was the thing I saw with A League of Their Own, where she was, like, the first... Do, do, do. Madonna's great in this movie. I had to explain to, to Nicole and Jess who Madonna was. <laughs> I'd be like, that's Madonna. They were like, but she's blonde. I'm like, yeah, they invented hair dye um, in 1994. Um, so she was the... Where is it? Because... There's like a, a record that she that she like set, I guess. Ah, uh, damn. I know it's on this. I was on this Wikipedia page like a week and a half ago, and it was here, and now I can't find anything from it. Um, maybe if I go to Penny Marshall. This is fascinating, right? Yeah, I'm so glad you're listening to this. Ah, uh, uh, oh my god. I was on. She was directing that. I was gonna be like, she directed Sam and Cat. That's ridiculous. Okay, so big. It wasn't. It wasn't like that one, but it was big. She was the first. It was the first film directed by a woman to gross over a hundred million dollars. And and think about that. This year we we got Barbie, right? Like we, and that was a smash success. Like I actually wanna, I wanna look here, and see. Yeah, like Barbie domestically grossed six hundred million dollars, and worldwide grossed over a billion. And Penny Marshall, thirty years ago, was the first person to gross a hundred million. Like, think about, it. think at how long that took. The first, like, the first movie directed by a man to gross a billion was like, you know, freaking Gone with the Wind or something. You know, like I'm just I'm just trying to figure out when that would have happened mentally because the ticket prices, but like you look at this and it's like, okay, Barbie's the fourteenth highest grossing film of all time. Um I guess like Frozen two kind of like counts because it's it's co-directed by a woman, but like if we're talking about like live action directed by a woman, Barbie is the highest, and then like above that is, you know, Avatar, Avengers, Avatar, Titanic, Star Wars, Avengers, Spider-Man, Jurassic World. Jurassic World's grossed $1.6 billion. That feels like that's wrong. I know that's right, but it feels wrong. Um Yeah, I don't even know where you would find the next like solo <laughs> solo directed by a woman, like, let's look at year by year. Obviously, Barbie's the big grocer this year. Has a woman ever topped it? The list of just their year. No. I can already tell. The answer to this is no. That's crazy. But but Penny Marshall was out here breaking records, you know? So cool. 
Uh, anyway, I kind of rambled there at the end, but you know, you get the gist. The movie's great. Um, yeah, so we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about uh, some movie stuff. All right, and we're back. So I want to address this because this was kind of big news um, in the week we took off. Uh, we, the royal way. Um, so Melissa Barrera was fired from Scream 7 uh, for pro-Palestinian posts on her Instagram page that were interpreted by Spyglass as being um, anti-Semitic. Which I think, if you look at the post that they were talking about, is a very um, ungenerous reading of that. Where I think that they read into it something that wasn't there. Just given, like, if you watch what she's posting, she's also posting stuff from, like, Jewish people and stuff. And, and, and she's not, her point is that there should be a ceasefire, which I agree with. Um, and then Jenna Ortega stepped away from the project because of commitments with Wednesday, which have been sort of talked about for the last few months that that might be the case. But also, Jenna Ortega has for years now been publicly pro-Palestinian. And the timing is very suspect that it would come out the day or two after this happens. And she also liked a post that was supportive of Melissa Barrera, um, and and that impl- that implied that she left you to that Jenna Ortega left to to support for for Barrera. And I think a I think Melissa Barrera is entirely within her right to speak about this, and I don't think that she's incorrect about anything that she has said. She's been very um, basically anti-violence about the whole situation, which I think is like the most normal position to take. I find it weird that like some people are like, yeah, yeah, keep killing them. Like that's weird on either side. But it tends to be more like, yeah, take it to Gaza than anything else. Um I also think that this is a very dangerous uh precedent. Um and Susan Sarandon was also dropped by her agency, but also she's Susan Sarandon. She'll be fine. Um, this reminds me a lot of the Hollywood Blacklist, and I would encourage you, if you don't know about it, to go read up on it. Um, it was during the Red Scare of the 1950s, and it was basically people who were presumed, sometimes confirmed communists or communist sympathizers being blacklisted from Hollywood productions due to their beliefs. Um, there's a really great podcast about old Hollywood that I love called You Must Remember This, and, and Karina Longworth is the host, and she did a really great season on the Hollywood Blacklist, and it's one of those moments in history, the Red Scare just generally, too, that I think is so deeply shameful for this country, um, and I, I fear that this moment that we're looking at right now, um, is going to be another one of those, where people who just want human rights and just want peace and want everyone to be able to live 
comfortably and not in um, enclosed strips where they were constantly under the threat of violence. Um, the people who believe that are going to be are being silenced and are being um, basically told to shut the fuck up by the government. I mean, frankly. Um, and I think that I think that we can take stock. It's never too late to turn back. Right? Like, you'd hope it happened sooner. But you can still, right now, reverse some of these decisions. I don't think Melissa Barrera would go back to Scream 7 at this point. I think the Scream franchise should probably be sold at some point. They're, they're, they're scratching and clawing to figure out anything that they could do. But I genuinely don't see how Scream 7 happens at this point. Um, at least for a while. But I think these people need to recognize that everyone in this situation is human. Um, and that by painting the people of Gaza with a singular stroke, that they're all worthy of destruction because of Hamas. I think that that's a very dangerous thing to believe. And I think the equating of a religion with a country is dangerous. Um, you know, we can't we can't be anti-Semitic because we don't agree with what Israel is doing. And that's the danger of this situation is that Israel has painted themselves as being like, well, if you're against this, you're anti-Semitic. And that's not the case. Um, and it's not dissimilar to what happened in the early to mid to late to early early to mid to late 2000s to early to mid to late 2010s uh, to even now that the idea that um islamic terrorists and that countries like iraq and afghanistan and iran are all muslim and that that means that every muslim person is bad and this is a that the sentiment that has sort of curdled in our society um but yeah i mean you saw it with the muslim ban travel ban um, you know, but we, we, I think, I think it's, it's important for us to learn from our history here. And I think everyone would be doing themselves a good service by looking up the Hollywood blacklist and just generally the, the Red Scare and McCarthyism. Um, and if you want, um, there's some interesting movies on the subject, but I think probably you'd want to go nonfiction first before I start directing you in the direction of like, on the waterfront and uh, the crucible, you know, like the, those are very important texts from that time. But um, yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, the Karina Longworth season of the, the, the Hollywood Blacklist season of, of You Must Remember This. Uh, now that with that extremely heavy topic out of the way, um, I'm going to do a double feature because I was off last week. Uh, so November ends on Thursday, well, Friday, technically. Um, and I'm going to recommend a noir that's very near and dear to me. And then my dad's birthday was this week. So I'm going to recommend um, a Christmas movie because we are in the season. It is the reason for the season um, that he loves. So the first movie I'm going to recommend is Panic in the Street. Um, no, that can't be right. I did this already. Didn't I recommend this already? Night in the City. Wow. 
I'm getting my Richard Woodmarks messed up. I knew I'd done this already. Night in the City. Listen, you know me. I love Richard Woodmark. Um, this one actually is Jean Tierney and one of the all-time great actress names, Googie Withers. Um, directed by Jules Dassin, who you might have heard. He's directed a lot of um, very famous films. He did uh, Rafifi. Um, he was... So, speaking of the Hollywood blacklist, uh, so... He was a film director who worked in Hollywood, and then uh, Jules Dassin, and then he was blacklisted, and he had to go overseas to Europe to make movies. Actually, Night in the City is the last movie he made. Um, right? Let me just double-check this. But I believe it was one of the last movies he made during the blacklist. I mean, he was unofficially blacklisted during production, but um, he still was able to shoot that for um, 20th Century Fox. Uh, it's a very interesting film noir um, about a like a con man uh, who realizes that the best con he could pull in London is to, an American con man um, is to take over the wrestling industry there from this like young kind of dick guy, uh, and so he realizes what he needs to do this is to get the guy's father on board. Who's like a celebrated famous Greco-Roman wrestler. So instead of doing this, you know, hokey, hokey pro wrestling stuff, that was like new at the time, I guess um, we get back to good old fashioned. What's the line from um, bottoms, man on man, grappling and slapping football wrestling. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it, he has to figure out, okay. He's got to get this guy on board. Then he needs the money for the license. So he's got to like con this person so he can con this person so he can con this person to get the money. And then he has to con this person to be able to get the license. And it's just, it's so much, there's so much like stuff going on here. And Jane Tierney plays his, his uh, girlfriend who's sort of like long suffering. He's like, oh my God, will you stop it? Um, and there's like an elongated wrestling scene in this movie. The, the, the cinematography is done by Max Green, so it looks fantastic. It's 96 minutes long. It's just, it's so much fun. It's got, it, the guy who plays the, like, older wrestler is, like, a real-life wrestler, so he's in the wrestling scene, and he, you know, there's, like, okay, then there's a death, and now we've got to get revenge on this guy, so it turns in, goes from him trying to con people to him just running for his life. It's so, it's basically like, imagine a movie where the guy never stops running. He's always moving. And that's, that's kind of the vibe for that one. So I would recommend that one, which I don't think, yeah. So it's not on any major streaming service, but you can, A, as I always say, go to your local library. Um, they'll, they'll have some stuff for you. Um, or I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Um, and then the other one I want to recommend is A, for, for Christmas, moving into that season. Um, is this lovely Christmas movie from the 40s called The Bishop's Wife, uh, starring Cary Grant, Loretta Young, David Niven. Um, so it's basically this angel who comes down to answer a prayer from a, from a uh, bishop. The bishop is David uh, Niven, the, go the, the angel is Cary Grant, uh, and the bishop's wife is, the titular role is Loretta Young. Um, and so basically, Dudley is the name of the angel. He comes down. And he's coming in to help to help the, uh, the the bishop, and the bishop needs money to build a new cathedral. So what happens is the 
the angel comes down, people can see him. He's interacting as if he's a normal person, but he does have the control of like, okay, I can make things happen. Um, and while he's while he's helping him out and he's trying to figure out ways for him to get this money, um, he finds himself starting to fall in love with the bishop's wife. This is this is dangerous because he he this can't happen. He can't fall in love with someone on earth. So he's got to find a way to basically make the bishop's wife fall back in love with the bishop so he can leave having done his job fully without leaving any loose strings. It's a really gorgeous, really fun movie. Like it's it's very it's it's not it's not like 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 the description makes it sound very corny, very very hokey. But it is. It's very fun. Um, you know, you've got Monty Woolley in this, who is always just a hoot when he shows up. Also, Lanchester, who's fantastic. Um, originally, it was going to be Dana Andrews as the bishop, and then Teresa Wright as the wife. Um, and then, you know, Teresa Wright got pregnant. They had to loan out Dana Andrews to get Loretta Young. Um, and then they were like, okay, well, we'll get Cary Grant, and he'll play the bishop. And Cary Grant was like, no, 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 I want to be the, the angel, which was, like, the perfect move. Um, and I also wanted to say this. There's a remake of this called The Preacher's Wife, and it's not nearly as good as The Bishop's Wife, but it's got Denzel Washington, it's got Whitney Houston, it's got Courtney B. Vance. The three of them are fantastic in it. Whitney Houston is just, like, so charming. Just charm personified and directed by Penny Marshall. Um, but she she sings in it. It's fantastic. Denzel Washington, perfectly cast. So charming, so lovely. You know, like, you get it. You get why someone would fall in love with him. The same way you get why someone would fall in love with Cary Grant. And I actually believe The Bishop's Wife is available to stream very for free, like, a million places. It's on YouTube for free, Tubi for free, Pluto TV for free, Roku Channel for free, Plex for free. It's on Amazon Prime for free. Like, if you have a Prime subscription. Um, so, yeah, you can find that one plenty of places. And it's an hour and 49 minutes. Super quick. Super great. So, I recommend both of those films, um, and you can, if you want to hold on, on Bishop's Wife until December 1st, totally up to you, November ends in a few days, so you might want to hop on that one first, uh, yeah, so thank you for joining, uh, hopefully next week we have a little bit more baseball news, the winter meeting should be starting right around the time I record this, uh, yeah, and you can, of course, as always, follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, or X, at FIBpod, on Instagram at FlushingIsBurningPod, and you can email us at FlushingIsBurning at gmail.com. Uh, I would recommend that you also listen to the other shows on this network, the Home Run Applesauce Network. Um, we have so many great shows, from Complex to Queens, um, which is a great look at the Mets minor league system. Um, a league they're a pod of their own named after a league of their own um, which is so fantastic I love all of the people associated with that show uh, today your love tomorrow the world series Chris and, and Brian chit chatting it up uh, yeah and if you like our network and our shows you can subscribe to our patreon so if you go to homerunapplesauce.com there's a little link sends you to patreon you can click on it sends you right to the patreon I believe it's five dollars a month gives you access to an exclusive discord server uh, exclusive episodes of certain shows or or emergency podcasts or anything like that i believe they do playlists from time to time that you'll get as a part of that too it's a super fun thing to to join just five bucks a month uh not that much that's the cost of like one drink at dunkin donuts and uh you know which, which would you rather support you know no you know it's up to you you can do whatever you want but 
you know, we'd appreciate it. Uh, so thank you for listening and uh, see you next week.